Welcome back to the Black and Real Life Podcast. It's your girl, Anuli, here with a new episode. This episode features the first formal interview of season two. Visiting heritage sites like museums implicates both curators and visitors in the construction and reconstruction of meaning-making and identity formation. In the book, The Uses of Heritage, Heritage and Museum Studies scholar Laura Jane Smith defines a practice of heritage as the management and conservation protocols, techniques, and procedures that heritage managers, archaeologists, architects, museum curators, and other experts undertake. The term heritage is itself grounded in the European idea of inheritance, meaning that people are defined by what they own. So as more museums emerged in the 19th century, cultural property in the form of museum collections played an important role in constructing the nation-state and the boundaries of nationalism, regionalism, localism. What I'm trying to say here is that museum objects came to represent larger bodies of knowledge and the object as specimen paradigm became embedded into our social and cultural practices. Museums are established as sites of colonization in this way, but is it at all possible for museums to serve as sites of decolonization? The Atlanta Historical Society was founded in 1926 to preserve and study Atlanta history. In 1990, after decades of collecting, researching, and publishing information about Atlanta and the surrounding area, the organization officially became Atlanta History Center. Today's guest is Christian Weatherspoon, the Vice President of Digital Storytelling at Atlanta History Center. Christian, who also goes by Chris, has 10 years of digital journalism experience and has worked with news, public policy, and government organizations to deliver content to diverse audiences and amplify untold stories across digital and social media platforms. In this episode, we talk about the role institutions like Atlanta History Center play in interpreting history. And we also talk about the lasting impact of the 1996 Summer Olympic Games on the city. Also, of course, we have to talk about Atlanta's influence in the southern United States as a region and America as a whole. At the end of each interview, I will come back to share a few key takeaways that stood out to me from our conversation. If you listened to season one, you're very familiar with this practice. I am continuing it in season two. These takeaways will be supplemented with research from both academic and non-academic sources to add further context to subjects that were brought up in the interview portion. For every episode, I will include citations to the reference materials I mention, as well as some additional background reading for you on the Black and Real Life website. Visit www.blkirl.com to nerd out. Okay, now without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Christian Chris Weatherspoon, 
the Vice President of Digital Storytelling at Atlanta History Center. Just a quick disclaimer, uh, our Wi-Fi was going a bit in and out during our conversation, so there are some parts of the sound that were difficult to recapture, but overall, it does not take away from the depth of our conversation. Just, you know, the perfectionist in me wanted to call that out. Um, I think one of the, the best ways to, to, to begin to talk about this is, you know, one of my favorite quotes is Carol Mosley Braun, you know, the first African-American woman in the Senate. She said, defining myself as opposed to being defined by others is like one of the most difficult challenges that I face. And I always think about that quote, number one, kind of as a Black woman. But in this space, I think it just rings so true to me because you know, history really, in some cases, has belonged to the people who told it. And I think as a historical institution, especially in, in, in this age, where there's so much access to everything, it is so important that we use the resources that we have to really expand kind of the history that's been traditionally shared and told. And that means that, you know, history doesn't belong to one group of people. And so again, like I said, as a historical institution, it really, you know, I think it's really our responsibility to lift up, you know, undertold stories in communities that have traditionally not just been silenced, but communities that have been ignored in so many regards. And um, I think, you know, that is, you know, why this role here for me is so important at the History Center. It's a direct line to doing that. It's a direct line to reaching out to communities, not even just, you know, not even asking for things or, you know, asking for them to, you know, to, to, to give us your story, give us in a, in a transactional kind of way, but building trust, you know, you know, working in communities, being honest about the fact that, you know, for so many years, like I said, the history that exists in a lot of these places within Atlanta and beyond have just not been, not been told. And so I think that's the first step is kind of acknowledging that, but then being open and, and really um, being open to what do communities, you know, want to share, you know, what, you know, what, what let, you know, let communities dictate that. And I think that is so, I think that's so important. I think I mentioned this to you at, you know, while you were here, I think so much of this work is, um, you know, when, when, when kind of you look at the explosion of email and digital journalism and, you know, Anyone can be a journalist. You know, you can go into your local community, interview people, talk to people. You look at podcasting. Like it's taken, it's taken kind of that off of, you know, journalism as a thing off of its pedestal and brought it down to you know, an everyday level, which I think has been so important to not just journalism, but to history. Because now there are no barriers, you know, and, you know, communities are able to, you know, tell and share their own history. And as a historical institution, as a cultural institution, we need to be a part of that. Because when you talk about Atlanta, you can't talk about Atlanta without exploring the rich legacies of Black people in Atlanta. You can't talk about Atlanta without talking about not just the struggles, but the triumphs of um, folks. And it goes beyond, you know, it goes beyond civil rights. I think it starts there. You know, it begins in some regard there, but even before, there's so much before that story and after that story that's continuing to happen. I mean, you look at, 
you know, the explosion of black tech here in Atlanta mm-hmm. and how there are young, so many young black women leading that charge in this space. Like that is history. We need to, ca- history really is happening right now around us. And so, like I said, as a cultural and historical institution, like that's our job. We need to, we, we need to, we need to capture that because decades from now, it'll be, you know, hopefully it'll be a part of a historical record that, that is shared with our children, grandchildren, and beyond. And I want to get to one part of that history. I, I know from our previous conversations, you've talked to me about the ways of Black leadership, starting with mm-hmm. Maynard Jackson and how um, leaders like him had made it possible for Atlanta to grow economically. And so can you talk about the importance of Black leadership in a city like Atlanta and how that kind of distinguished the city? For sure. And kind of just my general research around, um, and, and I'll preface this with, you know, I am no, certainly no Maynard Jackson, you know, expert or historian, but, you know, there is no corner of Atlanta that you, that you touch um, that doesn't, um, that has not been impacted by his legacy. Honestly, you know, for me in Atlanta, you know, next to MLK, he has been kind of one of the most influential figures in this city. And um, I think uh, I was reading and I read a quote that, that John Lewis had, and he said that um, he called Maynard Jackson a, a founding father of the new Atlanta. <laughs> and, you know, when I saw that, I was like, wow, it really just, you know, it really just sums up everything that that he was. And the fact that, you know, he was in his 30s, you know, he was, he was a young, you know, a young Black, you know, man, like with vision, with, with the foresight to be able to see what Atlanta could be and not to just see what it could be, um, you know, for one group of people, but he saw what Atlanta could be for Black folks. And I think he saw it in Atlanta before a lot of people saw it. And so I think, you know, when you look at, you know, the many strides that he made in so many areas, including like building Black economic wealth um, in Atlanta, you know, through his expansion at, at the airport, I mean, Hartsfield Jackson, which obviously bears his name for a great reason. Like I said, his, his impact is just, is you can't even really, really explore it uh, fully because it was just that, just that, you know, impactful. But yeah, like I said, when you look at, you know, his impact around building economic wealth and helping, helping Black people get access to, to not just, you know, more money and in a, in a financial way, but helping Black people, you know, gain access to a, a different, a different level of just success. When you think about Atlanta, again, especially as a Black person, I think it's one of the first things you think about is that, wow, I can move to Atlanta, I can go to Atlanta, I can thrive, I can I can go out on my own. There's a reason you see such a large concentration of Black entrepreneurs here, because I think the work that he did helped to lay that groundwork. I think when you talk about, you know, not just, not just you know, Maynard Jackson, of course, he is kind of the, you know, the, the, the standard um, but Atlanta has, I think, benefited from a sustained Black leadership that has, you know, made the difference. You know, when you have a Maynard Jackson and, and his, his legacy, but you've had, you know, mayors to come after to not just uphold the legacy, but to build up on it and, and to help, you know, to help Atlanta become, you know, what it is, you know, what it is now. So, like I said, I think, you know, for, for him, like I said, he, he is a giant here for a reason. And I think, you know, his, his history and his, his legacy um, is one that really, like I said, being, being from the South um, and, and kind of looking at, like I said, the, the foresight that he had and the, 
the his you know, the progressive nature of you know what he knew he could do for Atlanta. I can't help but think that so many other you know urban black cities you know could benefit from that same vision and that same kind of tenacity that that Maynard Jackson had. So that's my ode to him. <laughs> I do want to um, highlight the John Lewis quote that you shared earlier in your yeah. in your response about the new Atlanta because I have lived in quite a few urban Black cities, D.C., Boston, Chicago, New York. And one thing that makes Atlanta stand out to me is this division between old Atlanta and new Atlanta. Can you talk a little bit about like what that division is, what when new Atlanta started, what is old Atlanta? So I think here, you know, if you touch down in Atlanta, you, you're not going to get too far and not here. Oh, yeah, this is old Atlanta and this is new Atlanta. I, I think at a very basic level, you know, Old Atlanta is Atlanta pre-gentrification, <laughs> pre, um, you know, pre um, the time, you know, where so many of these, um, you know, so many neighborhoods that may have been, uh, you know, traditionally kind of, you know, occup- occupied by, you know, people of color have now become, you know, very gentrified areas in the city. And I think when you talk about that new Atlanta specifically, I think you cannot explore that new Atlanta without exploring kind of at what cost. And I think, you know, when you look at even, you know, even even important um, and kind of, you know, milestone marker events like the Olympics in 96 here in Atlanta. Yes, it, it did help to usher in kind of a new way of thinking for not just Atlantans, but a new way um, how people outside of Atlanta thought about Atlanta. You know, Atlanta was an underdog, but after the Olympics, Atlanta, you know, the way that people, you know, saw the city, it changed, you know, it, it, it became, it helped, it pushed it on to being that, that global city, that Mecca that we, we now know it to be. And like I said, I think when you talk for explore at what cost, you know, you have issues, like I said, around specifically gentrification, displacement, you know, you know, people just losing access to, um, to the city that was home to them. And I don't think that, you know, I think it's important, you know, to explore that. And I think, you know, we do a great job, you know, with that in our um, exhibitions here on campus. You know, we, we have an Atlanta 96 exhibition that specifically um, explores that. Actually, when you look at things like the Olympics and, um, you know, some of the first um, organizations to, you know, to really question, you know, how will the games coming here you know, impact communities, you know, there were local organizations who worked in low-income neighborhoods in, in communities in Atlanta and worked with homeless populations because they knew what the impact of development and the preparation for the games would do. And so, you know, I would, you know, encourage any of, you know, your listeners to visit our website um, and peruse and take a look throughout Atlanta 96 exhibition, but take a look through our blogs that explore those really important, that explore those really important issues. And so I think it's, I think it goes without saying that kind of after the Olympics, you did see a bit of a new Atlanta. But like I said, I, it really is important to kind of understand kind of at, at what cost. And I think you still, you know, we, and it's important to explore that. And I think it's, it again goes to telling that complete story of not just the progress that is Atlanta, but the work that Atlanta still has. One of my favorite parts of your 1996 exhibition was learning that that Olympics, not only was it the centennial of the Olympics as a whole, but also it was the first digital 
Olympics, mm-hmm. which is a new fact for me to go, you know, I study social media and technology. So, oh, wow. Another connection. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. To your point, you know, in the 90s, you know, the digital revolution was, it was there, you know, it was happening. And I think when we, when we think back about, you know, just think back to you know, our childhood, you know, I'm 35 and I think back to my childhood in the 90s, you know, I can remember kind of inflection points like kind of the, the cell, you know, the cell phone. Mm-hmm. We started to kind of see that in the 90s. You know, you saw the, com- you know, you saw computer graphics, the animate, you know, the animated things. Nintendo 64. Yeah. You, I had one. You remember? You, yeah. Right. Donkey Kong. And that was, don't, exactly. And that was all, that was all during that time. And so when you, when it came to the Olympics, I think it was, you know, inevitable that that tech game, that the, the tech, that technology, that burgeoning technology, should I say, be included um, in that. And so I think, you know, that manifested itself in, in things during the Olympics here in Atlanta, like you have virtual venues, um, you know, where people could, um, we actually have an interesting thing in one of our exhibitions, like one of those, um, it was a, a tall kiosk that housed like a television. Um, and it, it, I think they were meant to, to like be at kind of a certain, you know, venues, you know, where the game, where certain games were happening. But the idea was just to, you know, give you computer simulations and just, you know, provide you kind of information about, you know, I think what today, I guess when I, when I saw it, I likened it to, you know, when you're in the airport and you see your flight up on the screen, there were things like that mm-hmm. that were supposed to kind of, you know, help give you just, you know, different information. But I mean, you think in the 90s, that was, that was, that was new. And so I think in addition to, like I said, the fact that it was in Atlanta, a place that was so unexpected for many people, the idea that, you know, Atlanta, Georgia Tech specifically kind of was at the helm of making this, the Olympics, like very first kind of digital game was just another testament, I think, to the innovation that is Atlanta. And that, and that, and another reason that it made those, that it made those games wildly successful and just memorable. I also think in, in the 96 games, it was kind of the first games to have a website. Mm, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was just, you know, there were just so many things. And I think the, the really cool thing about looking back on that now really is, so there's so many, there's so much nostalgia around it. It really is like the 90s was such nostalgic time and I think even now being in the city and being able to see the impact years later of um, the Olympics pair that kind of with the nostalgia that is just the nostalgia of the 90s in our childhood I think for our generation it just I don't know there's just something again it just adds to I guess kind of the magic that is so yeah you definitely see imprint of the Olympics throughout the city because I've I've once been to Mexico City and they hosted an Olympic Games in the 70s and all of the Olympic you know remnants are kind of like located in one area of the city whereas in Atlanta all parts of the city I see a little bit of the remnants you know some torches here some statues here, like all throughout the city so it seems to me unlike any most other cities, uh, Atlanta still holds the game in this like high prominence. It absolutely does, and I think you know when you think about um, kind of the, sh- the 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 structure that was able to to build and prepare for the Olympics here in Atlanta. Again, I think it's just another testament to the great leadership that this city has benefited from. Um, you know, say so you had a Maynard Jackson, you had a, you know, Andrew Young, 
um, and, you know, Billy Payne, who were able to all come together, two, two black and one white guy who came together and, you know, despite, you know, anything else, could see the vision and could see, a, you know, could see how, could, number one, see how Atlanta, you know, had the capacity and could build the capacity to host an Olympic Games, but also had the tenacity to say, you know, I don't care. I don't care that folks think we, we can't get it. You know, we're still gonna, we're still gonna go and buy for it anyway. And, and it worked out, it worked out in our favor. And I think because of that, I think that's why you do see so much because, you know, I can't really, I can't really intimate, I think just how much the, the, the game helped to, to really change Atlanta. And I think if, as far as you talk about kind of putting Atlanta, I guess, on the map, which, you know, I won't say the game just did that. People knew of Atlanta for sure. But like I said, I think it surely raised Atlanta's profile to the, to the nation, to the world. So we have the games. I would also love to hear about the airports because I would imagine that people from all over the world wouldn't be able to come to Atlanta if it had not been for like having an international airport. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, when you look at the kind of the, that international, I think it's important to even to pull back and even talk about, you know, like why Atlanta? Yes, <laughs> you know, like yeah. why do you, you know, why do folks want to come to it? I think Atlanta is one of the really, um, one of the few places that there's a huge transplant culture here, of course, you know, we all know that. And I think when you think about why as a transplant myself, you know, there's a whole understanding of as a transplant, you know, I think you, you're looking for maybe, you know, three things, especially people in this Southern region. And I think, you know, for many of us having grown up here in this region, I think we kind of understand kind of how politics plays a role in, um, you know, maybe keeping a, a, a city from being as progressive as it needs, as it needs to be. Coming from Mississippi, I understand, right? I think you all I also understand how, you know, things like brain drain is a real thing. Yeah. You know, when you leave it, you know, when you when you when you're in a place where you don't feel like there's a ton of opportunity, you know, you tend to, you know, seek that out elsewhere. And I think that I think that so many people look at um, Atlanta as the exact opposite of all of those things. And I think when you look at, you know, three primary things, opportunity, access and progress, Atlanta has all of those things. I mean, you know, you can come here and say you can, you know, there's enough here for you to bootstrap it and kind of figure, you know. You know, you know, there's this meme on on Instagram and Twitter that has been going around that says, "When all else in your life is failing, just move to Atlanta." <laughs> Have you seen? Have you no, seen? but I'm wondering why is it a why Atlanta? There's so many cities in the South. Yeah, but other uh, cities in the South. I mean, like I say, you, you can't beat like I said the progressive nature of Atlanta. Yeah, you know, there's so much. There's so much to do. I mean, you know, pretty much every you know. Fortune 500 company has a headquarters here. So you have jobs, you have opportunity. And when you look at economics and, and just businesses, businesses are coming here in droves um, because land and labor are both cheap. <laughs> you even look at the explosion of tech coming here. It, like I said, land and labor are both cheaper here than in Silicon Valley, but you also have the brain power. You have a Georgia Tech here. That has, you know, that produces that can, that that produce that's basically an incubator for Silicon Valley. So it's the it's the best of both worlds for everyone, for business, for um, you know, for young people looking to to thrive, especially for young African Americans, you know, looking for something at that intersection of kind of you know quality of life 
and building and building careers like you can do it all here everyone has their own personal reason but I think it's a mix of kind of all of those things you know when you talk about why Atlanta and then you know again that you know you have such a rich such a rich legacy and just a rich history for black people like I said you can go from kind of you know civil rights and kind of the, the struggle that black folks have endured and and come out of but you also go into like I said a Maynard Jackson and you know the first black mayor then to a Shirley Franklin first black female mayor you go you move from that struggle to that pro you know to that success to that progress and then to now you know it's everywhere it's you know that success is absolutely everywhere so I think that's kind of you know why Atlanta like I said everyone has their own reasons but I would imagine that that rich history um there really is a feeling in the air that like I said, anything is possible and then I forgot the other half of the question and really what was the other part of the question well before we go and talk about the the airport itself I am curious like there's still like what is it about the city like can we you can't just bottle it up and take it to like Jackson Mississippi like why is it like the location like like, what is it that all these people came to this area, like, historically, then, and kind of started these things that, like, you know, can't be replicated in other southern cities or other cities well, across the Yeah, I think, like I said, I think it is a mix, like I said, of that, that kind of sustained leadership. But I think when Atlanta, when Atlanta, yeah, I think when Atlanta figured out um, kind of the formula for them, Atlanta also, I think, became just indispensable to, you know, to the state of Georgia. And so I think, whereas a lot of other Southern cities, you know, urban kind of metropolitan cities may be kind of in the middle of kind of really regressive and legislative, you know, bodies and groups. Well, you know, because Atlanta is such a huge economic driver and such a huge cultural driver for Georgia, it's indispensable. So, uh, you know, Atlanta can truly, has truly written its own, written its own way. And I think, you know, and when you talk about business and economics and money, Atlanta has all of that, has all of that. And of course, you know, with those three things come influence. Yeah. So I think that undoubtedly, and those are things that are very difficult to replicate in other Southern cities. That it is, it, it's, it's a very difficult thing to replicate. So like I said, I think it's important to, um, again, but you can ask, a, you'll, you can ask a million different experts that question and you'll get a million different answers. I bet. Um, so that's, so that's just mine. Let me just give you that caveat. All right. <laughs> but yeah, I think as far as the airport is concerned, you know, you look at, you know, again, the, 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 the demand has to be there. And I think Atlanta created that demand and folks want to be in Atlanta. But I think that's why, again, you know, Maynard Jackson's um, years you know, ahead of his time uh, with his vision for, like I said, what Atlanta could be, you know, in expanding that terminal internationally, he had to have known that so so much business would come here to to set up shop. He had to have known that, um, you know, the center of kind of cultural life in the South would grow to be here, you know, or he had to have had, had some inkling. So again, I think a lot of it is just chance, foresight, and great leadership. And I think, you know, when you meld all three of those together and, you know, again, great leadership that allows you to, um, to expand, you know, an airport and to give, you know, to, you know, give minorities um, contracts to help create wealth in Black communities in Atlanta. Well, all that stuff just helps to build, it, it just, it, it just helps to, to build 
community. And I think that's, you know, in, in part kind of what the, what the airport um, has done and continues to do. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, you know, airport is still one of the largest, you know, one of the largest employers in the state and it was, excuse me, in the city. So, you know, and I think again, that was meant to be, that was, you know, that was, that's by design. Yeah. I think that when you, you know, when you look at kind of like I said, a formula around how do we do that? Yeah. I think that in part is it. But I think the heart and the sad reality is that there aren't many cities that can replicate what Atlanta has. And that just is the truth. And that's why people just come here. You just come to live here. <laughs> and you be a part of it. You know, you just be a part of it. Even if you, even if your town has not figured it out yet. So. I mean, there is the influence Atlanta has in the Southern region, like you mentioned, but now we're also seeing like a national Atlanta's having like, music industry. You can hear like the prevalence of like the trap sound or like the trap aesthetics. Also just thinking about like social media, a lot of like the trends are starting in Atlanta. I'm wondering also to add to this conversation and also politics, right? Like the flipping the state. Is Atlanta having an, another renaissance or is this a continuation of what has always just like yeah. seen it? I think it's a healthy mix of both. And I think, again, that's the beauty of Atlanta. You, you know, we they're always surprising you. And so I think, because I think the, was it yesterday? Or no, it was the day, I think it was Sunday. It was like the 25th anniversary of, of um, the Source Awards where outcast got up and said the south got something to say yeah i think it was like the 25th um the 25th anniversary of yeah that. that's actually but where my project starts yeah right i think it's on this one so i think when you look at kind of that inflection point and you look at but, then, but that's the thing though like even even in our 90s childhood like you know, we've known music to kind of come out, you know, mm. to come out of Atlanta. We were never old enough to go, but we all knew about Freaknik. And so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all yeah. we all knew about Freaknik and about the, you know, the phenomenon that was Freaknik. And, and I tell people, like, as oh, far wow, as- Oh, it was August 3rd. Yeah. It was August 3rd, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's why I'm just like, yeah, it was that. So, so you look at that kind of one inflection point, but then you also think about- um because you think about, you know, Freaknik and, you know, we all know how it ended, but you see all, as far as innovation goes, and you see all these outdoor festivals and all that stuff now, man, yeah. Atlanta, been doing that. You're okay. right, you're right. Been doing that. Oh, it just goes to the idea of the city just being able to just incubate just innovation. And it's just, it's, it's just the beauty of the city. And so, um, but yeah, like I said, I think music, has all has you know has definitely because I do think you know in a cheesy way cliche way music really is a universal language when you talk about like just music it's not just music stuff I hate to be that be that millennial but it's the swag it really is it went and I think you know when you talk about influence that's what it is like you gotta be you know you gotta be the place people want to be and the music has helped to make it land for that I'd argue that for folks in our generation that probably was kind of some of our first experience with Atlanta was immunity. Yeah. You know, with Outkast, with Usher, was um, you know, all of these artists who were like, oh, okay, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's you know, this is Atlanta. I want to go here. It's cool. You know, I remember coming here. I remember coming here and and going to underground Atlanta, coming from mm. Mississippi and going to underground Atlanta and hoping I'd run in, run into like a like a usher or you know <laughs> somebody or a TLC yeah. or somebody famous which I never did of course but I think again also for like I said for for this region like 
I think for many of us, because I can't remember as a child, you know, wanting to come here and wanting to visit and want, because there was just so much here, so much culture, you know, so much culture here and so much, um, so much access to just, you know, to everything. And so I think as you look at music, I think music kind of helped to shape that um, because like I said, it made it, it, it was marketable and it, it, it put, Atlanta on a stage that allowed us to, that allowed, you know, the city to, um, I don't know, to do their own thing. And I think it's what artists, you know, you look at Outkast, that's their hallmark. They were like nothing else that, that came out of any, any East or West coast. And they knew that, and that made them attractive and marketable. Yeah. So I said, no, the world had never seen anything like Andre 3000, you know, dressing the way he did, rapping the way they did with our, you know, with the Southern draw, you know, with the, <laughs> you know, with the emphasis on certain words, like, no, you didn't, you didn't see that. And so I think, again, a, another testament to just what Atlanta is. I interviewed, um, yesterday we talked with, um, amb- actually Andrew, Andrew Young, Ambassador Young. Oh, wow. And he, said um amongst the many quotables he had he said nobody understands atlanta they think they understand it but they don't and i thought, looked around like you're kind of right like <laughs> i think people think they understand atlanta but i don't think it really does because i don't know it's just that unique but like i think music helped to you know to kind of usher that in but then i think when you look at of course you know now politics which is thrust the city into a obviously a huge um a huge spotlight um after you know these senate races but then you also have you also have a stacy abram you know who is here um and and able to you know and, and you know kind of being that that new voice um of kind of influence and power in not just the south now but across the country now but you know she was here she organizes here she organized you know she organized here um she laid the groundwork arguably to you know for those helped play excuse me helped play you know the ground but she's so many black women in that in, in this political space here leading the charge to to you know register you know register you know voters and to fight voter suppression like all of those things you know a lot of it being led by black women in this city so because i think all of that is important i just think that I really do believe that kind of the new face, um, kind of the new the, the new frontier, kind of in 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 fighting for kind of equity, and and kind of you know civil rights and voter voter suppression specifically because it is happening so much here in the South and in Georgia specifically, it's going to be led again by Georgia mm. and Atlanta specifically. And so I think you know out of that same struggle that you saw you know during the civil rights movement. Like I think that same, um, that same, like I said, that that same tenacity and that same drive still is still here in this city, and I think you see it in in so many of the people you see kind of organizing on the ground here. Um, like I said, in pol- you know, in politics here, like you can't help but think that John, you know, but know that John Lewis's spirit is still, yeah. still is still here and still working. Like how could it not? You know, like how, how could it not? So it's a, the big shoes to fill. But I, once again, I think Georgia, I think Atlanta specifically is going to be um, at the forefront, leading the charge. I want to close with a question. This is a question I've been asking everyone I've done these more formal interviews with. And that is like who, what, or where represents 
Black Atlanta to you? Mm. I guess as far as a physical location um, for me, is that what you mean? Like a physical space? Could be anything. Just when you think about Black Atlanta, you think about this thing, person, place thing. Again, because I, you know, being from the South myself, um, I'm automatically, I'm automatically connected deeply kind of with the, with, 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 with civil rights. And so for me, you know, I, you know, grew up kind of understanding, you know, a, a Medgar Evers and a Fannie Lou Hamer and all of those people and having a deep, you know, respect and understanding for them. You know, when I visited Ebenezer, you know, for the first time in the King Center um, and his home, mm-hmm. which I think is still closed now. Yeah, but, it is. Yeah. yeah. But when I visited those places, I think it took me back even to my childhood and kind of understanding the gravity of what happened here and like the gravity of like just the great great like sacrifice that people made like I said that whole that question is always in my mind like at what cost like how like how are we how are we here and you know when I think about like I said the the great like cost and just the I just think about you know can you I can't even imagine you know living under the weight and the and the fear and of just all kinds of things that so many of those leaders in that time had to live through and that deeply resonates with me because you know I have uncles who organized with like Bob Moses and would have crosses burned in their yards you know and it just was you know I think we you know we sometimes we can take it for granted because we have progressed so much you know we still got a long way to go we because we have progressed so much but when I visit those places I know it's cliche but when I visit those places um I don't know I just feel it's weird I just feel a deep connection with that during the pandemic last year and the heat of it I needed to get out and I needed to just like get out of my house in a safe way didn't know how you know I was tired of just like taking walks you know around the neighborhood so I got in the car came down um to downtown Atlanta and I drove around, you know, you, you, you know, you see all the murals downtown. Yeah. So there's the John Lewis mural. There was the Black Girl Magic uh, yeah. mural. I, I grabbed a friend and I said, let's just go like mural that day. And let's just go see what I see. And then the time I got to the John Lewis one, you know, there were people putting flowers out and it was, it was, you know, people were there when I gathered. It was like a small grouping of people. We were all distanced, wearing masks. But, you know, all Black folks and we were just there talking and they're hanging out because, you know, the, where the mural is, it's like a part, a little parking lot area. Yeah, yeah, I was there. So we were just there hanging out, talking, you know, kind of screaming across the way. Didn't know these people. They didn't know me. I didn't know them from anything. But I was like, oh, OK, y'all, this is what I needed. Like, it's Atlanta. Like, I just need to come out here and just decompress, like, mm. talk to people, get some human interaction. But some of, you know, some of the conversations led into, you know, longer conversations about, oh, where are you from? Or where are you from? Because, you know, of course, no one's from Atlanta, really. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> and it ended up being a lot of transplants, but we all kind of started swapping stories about how long we've been here. And, you know, we exchanged numbers. And so some of them I still keep up with, you know, through the pandemic. But kind of just that day was just so indicative I think of like kind of what the spirit of Atlanta so many people are from so many places but Atlanta really is a connecting a connection point for so many people and so I think you know that for me is kind of the stuff that is so uniquely Atlanta um and then I guess as far as the geographical like physical space um the Cascade area yeah, yeah. in Atlanta 
Um, I had seen the movie Roll Bounce. And so when I moved here, I was like, let me go, let me go, let me go to the skating room. And Are you good was, skating? Are you no, good terrible. Skating? I'm terrible at skating. <laughs> but you know, it was it was that spot. I love roll bounce. I was like, oh, let me go, let me go here and see. So went there, and that was my kind of introduction into the Cascade area. And because it is a very, you know, historically, you know, black area, um, that it's kind of slowly being gentrified. Um, mm. it was just fascinating to kind of see this you know, older, you know, Black folks who are actually from Atlanta and they are of the city. Yeah. Um, still being there, still in their communities, still thriving, like with great stories to tell. And so one of my best friends in Atlanta ended up, you know, having grown up in Cascade. And so it's like one of my favorite pastimes just to talk to her. And she'd tell, I was like, how was it, you know, how, how, how did it used to be? You know, like how did be? How was it before all of us came, all of us moved in? And so to get her stories of old Atlanta are always so fascinating. And just again about the the success and the you know progressiveness of people in that community. And it's not just unique to Cascade. You know, several other you know historically black communities in this, in this city. But you know, and that's so why subsequently I joined a church in Cascade because nice. I wanted to be a part of you know that community. After visiting Atlanta and the History Center to learn more about the legacy of the 96 Olympic Games, one phrase kept running through my mind, at what cost. Today I want to hop on this train of thought and travel through time to explore some of the ruins caused by the Games. I want to highlight some of the neighborhoods of people that were displaced and dispossessed to accommodate the Olympics. In September 1990, Atlanta won the bid to host the 1996 Summer Olympic Games. Winning the bid to host the Centennial Games, the 100th anniversary of the modern Olympics against the lineup of cities that included Athens, Greece, the host of the first modern Olympic Games, was considered a major feat for the city. In spite of the approximately $2.5 billion price tag, the benefits derived from hosting the Olympic Games were expected to outweigh the costs. To prepare for the Games, the city prioritized cosmetic enhancements such as beautifying the downtown area over addressing serious infrastructure problems such as the inadequate sewer systems and deteriorating water systems in the city. Included in the city's beautification efforts was a renewal of its low-income neighborhoods. But as James Baldwin famously warned in the 1960s, urban renewal means Negro removal. City planners identified nine neighborhoods as likely to be, quote, affected directly by activities either associated with or taking place as part of the 1996 Summer Olympic Games. Atlanta's 1995 City Development Plan, yes, I read the whole thing, lists these neighborhoods alphabetically as follows. Atlanta University, English Avenue, Georgia Tech, Home Park, Mechanicsville, People's Town Summer Hill, Techwood Clark Howell, and Vine City Ashby. Of the identified neighborhoods, the greatest length of text was dedicated to outlining the revitalization of the Techwood Clark Howell neighborhood. 
The Tuckwood Clark Howell neighborhood would be redeveloped through private funding into a mixed income, mixed use neighborhood that city planners plotted to call Techwood Park. Techwood would serve as a model for the mixed income communities that Atlanta would develop in the years to come and its original residents would either move elsewhere in Atlanta or to the suburbs. An under-discussed aspect of Atlanta's history is the fact that Atlanta was the first city in the United States to complete construction on a public housing project. In 1936, Techwood Homes, named for nearby Georgia Tech, was developed to replace a stretch of blighted slums in Atlanta city center. Techwood Homes was considered an eyesore to city planners preoccupied with beautifying Atlanta as the city stepped on the world stage to host the Olympics. The Atlanta Housing Authority demolished Techwood Homes and replaced it with mixed income housing in 1996 before the Olympic Games. By 2011, Atlanta became the first American city to close all of its public housing projects. Today, residents of historically black neighborhoods like People's Town, located about two miles southeast of Atlanta's downtown, are still fighting to stay in their homes as gentrification accelerates in the city. If you're in the Atlanta metropolitan area, then you can visit Atlanta History Center to view the Atlanta 96 exhibition for yourself. After the games ended, Atlanta History Center was designated as a repository for the collections of the Georgia Amateur Athletic Foundation, the nonprofit behind the organizing committee of the 1996 Olympic bid and games. I visited the exhibition myself while in Atlanta and I learned a lot. If you're unable to make it to Atlanta, then you can still visit and experience the exhibition's content online on the center's website. Yes, it is listed among the reference materials for this episode. You are welcome. You have just listened to a production of the Black and Real Life Podcast. The Black and Real Life podcast is developed, produced, edited, and hosted by Anuli Akinabu. The music was graciously provided by Garth, whose single Wild can be streamed anywhere you can find music. The intro music for this season includes an instrumental remix of Welcome to Atlanta by Jermaine Dupree featuring Ludacris. Thank you for listening, and remember, the people you follow online are also Black and in real life.